0: Hello everyone, this is the Indian Diaspora podcast back again with episode 17. I'm your host today, Shashi uh, with my co-hosts Vijay, Neeraj and Vishwas. And today we have a special guest, uh, Tejasvi Nanduri, who has made an interesting journey um, from India to the US and back to India and then to the UK. And uh, Tejasvi, welcome to the show. We want to dedicate this show to you and, and to understand your experiences of having lived in India and abroad multiple times and to talk about you know, your motivations and experiences for why you've done this. So thank welcome to the show, much. Tej.
1: Um, hello, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. Look forward.
0: Wonderful. Uh, Tej, let's start with the basics. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about your background, you know, where you grew up um, and you know, how you ended up in the US in the first instance.
1: Um, I grew up in Hyderabad. Um, mm-hmm. I was born and brought up there until I was 17 at which point I uh, went to the U.S. for my undergraduate degree Um, that's how I went over there and uh, I finished my degree and um, I worked for so I I worked in um, a purely U.S. uh, role for about a year um, when I was um, working for a management consulting firm. And then I moved to a VC firm where I was doing cross-border investments. Uh, Well, I wasn't doing it. I was, uh, 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 you know, I was an analyst, um, you know, helping uh, the process of uh, cross-border investments between India and the U.S. So that was, I was going back and forth between India and the U.S. at that time. In 2003, I moved full-time to India with entrepreneurial ambitions.
0: Wonderful. I think uh, this management consultancy firm is one that you and I both worked at. So we have a shared connection there as well. And I think there's no shame in saying that it was McKinsey. That's right. But you worked in, I think you were in the Washington DC office, if I'm not wrong. That's correct. Yeah. So you were in Washington DC. I was in London, not at the same time, but uh, they call it the McKinsey Mafia. And I think we are both part of it now.
1: (laughs) well, you know, we need to start taking contracts out on people, so. <laughs> <laughs>
0: absolutely, absolutely. So, so, Tej, you know, you touched upon what made you return to India, which is the uh, the idea of being an entrepreneur. Uh, tell us a bit about that journey and that motivation for, you know, giving up a career in the U.S. and then going back to India. What motivated you and what did you see in terms of opportunities back then?
2: So,
1: I went to um, Stanford University which is a very um, kind of uh, tech-oriented school. I didn't study a technical subject. I studied economics. But all around me, and this was in the late 90s when, uh, you know, the whole dot-com era was in full swing. And it was a very kind of exciting and disorienting place to be at the same time because the world was changing very rapidly and it was difficult to figure out what was happening. Um, but, I, you know, I was... Um, so I I had some internships while at Stanford when I worked for startups. And uh, it was interesting but kind of chaotic. And then my junior year, which is the third year, I went to, I, I had an internship with a venture capital firm who I eventually joined in a full-time role after McKinsey. And, um, you know, uh, I, again, you know, I was dealing with startups, entrepreneurs and stuff like that. So I had a... I was quite piqued. I was quite interested um, in the whole startup uh, uh, world. Um, but the challenge, and I, while I wanted to do something with startups, <clears throat> my big constraint was Visa. So a lot of startups in that era could not sponsor an H-1B. <clears throat> um, the process was very convoluted and difficult. And, um, you know, a lot of them just didn't have the bandwidth to do that. So a firm like McKinsey uh, was a good choice in that they would they would be able to uh, sponsor an H-1B. And um, so that led me to McKinsey. And uh, at McKinsey, one of, I remember there was like some big global conference in Trump's Golf Club in Doral in uh, Florida. Um, and one of the partners who I was working with asked me, why did you choose McKinsey? Why didn't you go to a startup? I was kind of startled by the question because the, 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 you know how the culture, at least, you know, when you're beginning in McKinsey is where, you know, they, you feel like it is, the, it is the greatest job to have. And to have a partner kind of question me and say, oh, why didn't you join a startup was well, kind of disorienting. And, you know, it, it planted a seed in my head where I you know, kept thinking about it. And he, he followed that up with, oh, is your risk profile not that of a startup? Uh, well, you know, it, I was, I, I considered myself a risk taker, uh, but again, I think my risk profile was kind of uh, uh, vitiated by being in, by the visa requirement. Um, so I, you know, that this was maybe six months after I joined McKinsey, maybe slightly later, I can't remember exactly, but that kind of, you know, got me thinking about, am I spending time at a large company doing con- consulting for large companies? Is this going to prepare me for, you know, what I eventually want to do as an entrepreneur? And, uh, I, you know, I felt like I needed to do something more entrepreneurial, but staying in the U.S. would kind of prevent that. So I got back in touch with my old boss who ran the uh, VC firm because that seemed more aligned with an entrepreneurial journey. And they offered me this very exciting role where I could be between the U.S. and India. And since I would actually be primarily, like my home office would be in Bombay, I, um, and I would be traveling back and forth between the U.S. and India. It was um, kind of getting the best of the both worlds the way I saw it. And um, I took that job, um, spent, I think, three years at that firm. And then I decided that, you know, I had I understood enough about the entrepreneurial journey to take it on myself, which was very silly. I did not understand enough, but, you know. Um, that was my, that was how I arrived at, uh, being an entrepreneur and it wasn't possible for me to do it in the U S again, visa constraints, even though the U S was where more exciting entrepreneurial stuff was happening. Um, I saw India as a very exciting place because we were going through rapid change, uh, liberalization. had started in the decade before and by 2003, 2004, you could see something was fundamentally changing in India. And it was, um, I was quite excited to be able to pursue something entrepreneurial in a high growth economy. So I took the plunge without without a clear plan and decided to, you know, uh, what do they say? Hang out my shingle? Is that what they call it? Yeah.
0: So, you know, they, I think there are two themes that are worth picking up on here. I mean, the first is that this problem of visas, um, you know, immigration and visas, <clears throat> I think, um, all of us have been through that experience and I think, uh, you know, I can probably bring in, um, my co-host here as well. I mean, that is a significant constraint on how much ability you have to take risks when you immigrate. I don't know, Neeraj, you've been through that journey a little bit as well. What's your experience on that Neeraj?
3: So <clears throat> I'll tell you one thing, the visa has definitely been an issue. <clears throat> Unlike I think other European countries, U S visa process is one of the most cruel process, right? Uh, you have to have a uh, admission into a college to get an f1 you have to have a job to get an h1b instead where in some other countries they allow you to come and then look for education or job so for me visa was one time a reason that i did not switch from student to an employment that was the time where dot com was taking boom and all the H1Bs were getting allocated to the tech companies. And I was not on the tech side. I was on the PhD scholar side, and not many companies were willing to sponsor H1B for postdoc or research associates. So that kind of kept me in a limbo. But at the same time, I decided, you know what? Enough of this science, I'm switching. It was a drastic decision for me. But yeah, you're right. The visa did drive our decision in choosing a career path.
0: But then back to you. I mean, I think that period of um, Mm 2003-04, you know, this is the period of the India Shining campaign and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a real time of optimism. I remember that very well myself. Uh, You know, is that what got you, the sense of optimism that existed in India at that time?
1: Um, Partly. I was uh, so... I had it in my mind. The entrepreneurial bug was very strong. Um, The India, I mean, uh, like, I think maybe I would have preferred to have been in the U S but that the whole visa process, uh, as Neera just mentioned, it's so convoluted and, you know, I didn't have the bandwidth to keep thinking about whether whether I could live in this country. Um, You know, I didn't, I didn't want to make all decisions based on, this constraining factor. So I felt like it. I would have greater freedom um, if I moved to India and, you know, day-to-day existence did not depend on the job that I had. Uh, and it, honestly, I mean, I don't know if this is a fair comparison, but when I was in my 20s, it felt like indentured servitude to have to be on that visa. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about that in previous shows that the visa process is, uh, I mean, it's not, it's not quite like indentured. We should, you know, that's actually a way. No, no, it's, it's uh, an unfair
1: comparison. It's an unfair I comparison.
0: But, but, you know, yeah. I, I, you know I, I think I understand the point that you're making that you do feel shackled to yeah. uh, your current employer and the inability to move employers becomes a real challenge as well. Vijay, is, I mean, you stayed in one company for a very long time uh, you you know you probably did it for the reasons that you enjoyed it, but was that ever a consideration for you?
4: Yeah, I think uh, I was going to actually go in that direction a little bit with a with a related question. So, uh, I think in my case, uh, as you said, I got a PhD. I joined a company which afforded a lot of opportunity within it to move around and try new things, and sort of my whatever entrepreneurial bug I had uh, was at least satisfied for a while doing that. But I would also say that um, there were clearly constraints. Uh, You know, we all started out with, you know, zero in our pockets and we had to build a life and you have to do the risk-reward ratio. And I I guess maybe I would have behaved differently if I was in Silicon Valley versus on the East Coast. Uh, Maybe mindsets are different, risk-taking, and even the access to capital is different. Uh, And maybe my my path would have been slightly different. But in general, you know, the first few years of my career – as I guess for a lot of immigrants, was uh, you know, get stable, risk reduction, etc. And I, I guess some of it also comes from you know, where you come from. So I have a question for you, Tej. I mean, are you, is your background uh, more like, is your family more on the entrepreneurial side, business owners, stuff like that? Or uh, are you, like, my, my dad was in the army, my mom was a school teacher. In general, most of my family is more on the service side. We have not. Got too many examples in our family of people who started businesses. Um, my wife's side, quite different. She's from Gujarat. A lot of entrepreneurial people there. So I've been exposed to that. Curious about your background and how that might have influenced your...
1: Um, so yeah, um, the answer is partly yes. My, uh, my mother was a school teacher as well. Um, uh, and uh, my father, um, he was a CA, but a non-practicing one. He, um, started off, um, working for ILTD, which is the, like the, the, what ITC used to be called, uh, in the seventies. And he quickly figured out that he didn't want to be on an internal audit team doing stuff. So he, he, he also became a teacher. Uh, my, my family is full of teachers. So my grandfather was a teacher um and the, you know my uh my father's uncle was a, was a professor at osmania osmania university he was also a stanford alum by the way so we have a historical connection to stanford over there um and uh, my dad also took up teaching he used to teach corporate finance in a place called uh, the administrative staff college of india which was you know which was essentially public sector employees and IAS people used to go there for continuing education. And he used to teach them corporate finance. Um, and uh, in the, but he, I, I think he was not satisfied just being a teacher. Um, so he undertook kind of an entrepreneurial journey. Um, with its attendant ups and downs. So he first started off uh, writing books. And the, the, the book writing was essentially, I think it was driven by his desire to be an entrepreneur. And he saw each book as kind of like a business that he was running. And um, he wrote a number of books on finance. So corporate finance, um, tax planning, those kind of things. And uh, he used that to, and, uh, you know, he, he generated some income as well as capital out of that. And then he started a magazine. Um, it was, I mean, it was not like a, an India Today style fully professional affair. It was a small magazine about investing that he ran out of like a the equivalent of a garage. Um, and slowly he he did stuff like that in the 80s there was a big boom in um what they used to call it developmental finance so essentially if you wanted to be an entrepreneur debt financing became available through various entities like state finance corporations and things like that in in india so he kind of latched on to that uh, boom in credit in uh in the 80s initially he was doing work as a consultant for others so he would help if you wanted to start a business he would help you figure it out he would arrange the financing he was kind of like operating in the space of being like a management consultant as well as an investment banker so he did a bunch of ipos he you know he did management consulting like hardcore operations consulting how do you run your plant better how do you make it more efficient that type of stuff and then he got involved with some very high profile entrepreneurs where he did substantial equity as well as debt fundraises for them, which gave him a lot of confidence that he could also do it, but he had never operated a proper business before. And because he had he had a network and he was able to raise capital, he did too much too quickly. So he set up some 10, 11 different types of businesses doing all kinds of things and the credit was available easily for him because he knew everybody in the in the business. And the whole thing, and he didn't have the bandwidth to kind of run all these operations properly and quickly it became a mess. And there was a kind of a blowout bust in the early 90s, right before liberalization. Um, you know, all the credit in India just evaporated. And he, he had a really difficult... Uh, financial situation that he had to deal with in the, in the early 90s. So I saw, I saw all this up close and um, even though yeah, he wasn't a successful entrepreneur, at least in the beginning of his career, uh, well, this was not this was the mid-stage of his career and he, he faced deep financial problems by the time he was in, in his 40s. I had seen this entire cycle and he kind of again built himself back a little bit uh, in, you know, in his forties, I'd, I'd seen two stages of that cycle and instead of, uh, viewing it as a cautionary tale, somehow I got very excited by it. Um, and, um, so, you know, to answer your question and, you know, in a more precise, well, in, in a short way, my family isn't exactly a business family, but my dad was a first generation entrepreneur of sorts. He wasn't like a full-blown operating businessman, but he did businessy things, and he was on his own. He was like you know the the winds of fortune, like kind of took him through his life. So I had exposure to that. Um,
0: so take you know before we come to your the next part of your journey, which is yeah. your entrepreneurial journey, mm-hmm. I just want to bring Vishwas in because he made the journey back to India as well. Mm-hmm. And Vishwas, I think the question for you is that. What they just said about his motivations of going back to India, does any of that chime with your experience?
2: Uh, no, not really. In in our case, uh, we were uh, in Germany, uh, and we had uh, and I had just uh, uh, worked for some time after I had completed my MBA at NCR in France, and I was working with BSF at that time. Uh, for us, it was more. Uh, a personal thing, we, uh, by the way, Germany is is a great place to stay. There's no visa issue. Uh, and uh, uh, the companies, if they want you, they can pretty easily get a visa for you. And then uh, uh, that converts into a permanent contract. So it's, uh, it's a pretty good uh, uh, value proposition for those looking for stability. But in our case, uh, it was more of a personal preference. Uh, we wanted to come back to India, and uh, the German uh, education system is a very, very different animal. Uh, the the kids are uh, are required to take uh, a, a life-changing exam very early. I think when they are in their uh, fourth or fifth grade, and and that decides whether they go into, uh, you know, what kind of school they go into. For example, you. you a child can go to a vocational school if they don't do well on that test. So we would you know, it's, and, and the uh, education system is a little behind uh, Indian in terms of, they catch up in the end, but uh, uh, if you lose some time over there, then your, your child will lose uh, some years in the Indian education system. So that was weighing on our minds and uh, some opportunities opened up in India, uh, so you know, in consulting, we all seem to be in consulting one way or the other. And uh, we decided that
0: we'll, we'll go back to yeah. India. Interesting. Interesting. Resource. I think they're just coming to the next part of your journey. And I, I know there's a long part in which you stayed in India. So we'll have to condense it down because the next phase is what we're really interested in. Uh, tell us a bit about your uh, entrepreneurial journey in India. How did that feel like?
1: Um, um, I was capital constrained uh, to begin with. Um, even though I worked at a venture capital firm and all that, I, I decided to become an entrepreneur without knowing exactly what type of business I wanted to be in. The one thing I knew a reasonable uh, amount about was uh, investing. And uh, by the time I decided to quit, the, uh, quit my job, um, I had a pretty solid uh, grasp of both markets as well as corporate finance. Um, and um, and I had some savings. So um, since I didn't have a very clear notion of what what type of business I wanted to set up, I started investing my savings. This was in 2003. This was right before the start of the first mega bull market of this century in India and you know, the timing worked out spectacularly for me. Um, so, um, I, I, in the meanwhile, I was looking at various businesses. I was also considering should I, will, would, would it be possible for me to get some acquisition finance if I found an interesting business to buy examining various opportunities. And I, invested in a couple of little companies so one of the things that uh, i was very interested in was at that time linux was just uh, making an entry uh, into the in the tech world and uh, i wanted to see if it was possible to create a propri- not a proprietary but like a linux based operating system that we could bundle together with uh, hardware and uh, sell it to you know companies Um, and but and we did i did that for a while so i was i was building these linux boxes we we outsourced manufacturing to a pretty big uh, kind of oem supplier Um, got a got several uh, deals where we were selling linux boxes but ultimately, Linux was not something that the Indian corporate market was ready for. So, you know, essentially, very quickly, it became a commodity game of, uh, you know, selling Windows machines. That wasn't very exciting. So after a while, I, I, I kind of uh, stopped doing that. Uh, we wound down that business. But ultimately, the thing that really proved successful for me was investing. And, uh, you know, uh, my... My tiny amount of savings kind of really ballooned thanks to the bull market that, that happened. And I also managed to exit uh, quite nicely before the crash that came in like 2008, 2009. and I, again I traded, uh, traded the market back up after that crash. Um, so so most of my, most of my entrepreneurial journey, even though I experimented with various different things, ultimately became, it became about investing. Uh, investing
0: that's, in public markets. So, so you're one of those rare commodities that got lucky with the cycles. Um,
1: well, you know, I also had a lot of training in that, and yeah. uh, I understood what, what to do. So
0: yeah. So, so tell us, uh, t- tell us uh, a bit more about, Tej, about what then made you leave India again. And That's a more recent thing, by which time you had a family, you had children, uh, you know, the whole equation looks very different at that point. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that.
2: So,
1: um, ultimately, what uh, the thing, the thing that started, so one of the things that excited me and attracted me to India in the first place was I saw great convergence with uh, um, the global liberal order, Uh, you know, in the sense that you would have, you know, I'm talking about classical liberalism over here, like Adam Smith type of liberalism. Where, you know, there was a phase at the end of the 90s, beginning of the the 2000s when it essentially after the fall of the Berlin Wall, when it seemed like there was a uh, there was a there was a global commitment to liberal values, to democracy, to, um, you know, property rights, to markets, to, um, you know, that that sort of whole uh, liberal classical liberal view of the world and um, from the outside india definitely looked like it uh, it was part of that type of a system and you know i actually got my first kind of jolt when i read a book by farid zakaria in like 2006 or 2007 where he described india as an illiberal democracy which you know kind of uh, it really jolted me because i until that point of time, I thought India was a liberal democracy and to see it being described by a person of Indian origin as an illiberal democracy was kind of, you know, kind of uh, um, startling. Um, and uh, I, and again, this is a very personal view, which is that I, I tend to veer towards these liberal values. So I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm, you know, uh, traditional values are something that I, you know, I, I'm okay if somebody has traditional values, but as a state, as a polity, I was hoping that we would be um, in a liberal space. And it felt like that for, for quite some time, it felt like that. But slowly I started finding out things about India itself, you know, which I had not been aware of before. But um, which is essentially we have an electoral democracy and this is and these are some structural issues it doesn't have anything to do with you know this politician versus that politician or this party versus that party but you have a you have a democratic system in which several pillars of the democracy are um, not fully realized Uh, and this was the recognition that dawned on me over several years I I I didn't figure it out on, on day one, you know, because I was operating under the assumption that we were heading towards a certain global kind of liberalism. Um, and, you know, it slowly dawned on me that we there were several gaps between what I imagined India was and what India actually was. And these are structural problems. These, these you know, when you have a large universal franchise with, you know... At least at the point that we started out, very low literacy levels and a fundamentally conservative society. Um, You know how that that plays out is going to be very different from what I hoped it would play out as. Um, And um, tradition. I don't think you know. By the time I came to, by the time I decided that I wanted to leave India, it became very clear to me that structurally it is going to be very very difficult to have the kind of democracy that i would have liked for me and my kids more importantly my kids and the kind of values that i would have liked are fundamentally different from the type of values that actually exist in india
0: yeah you know so that's a i mean that's a very uh, i mean it's a big point to make um it's also a point on which we can have a lot of debate but let me call in my co-hosts here to see you know if we've all had similar experiences any reflections on what they is saying about this uh, clash of values or difference in values between the west and india Neeraj?
3: so <clears throat> a few years back when i started looking to move to india Uh, This was uh, after the economy had collapsed 2009-2010 time frame and my move to India was not related with economy. It was more related to some personal decisions, you know, what what was going on in the family. And one thing I noticed was that it was different India, right? It was different India that we'd left 25 years back. And uh, during my previous, those years, I used to go to India every two years, at best, maybe every, you know, one year. So it was not the same India that we had left behind. Also, it was not the same India that we used to read in the media, in the news about the boom and all that. I I did not see that. I did see people with big cars. I did see people with multiple cell phones. But I grew up in a small town. So every time I went to my town back home, it was the same same thing. It was the same crap. It was the same level of uh, <clears throat> you know, to your point, chaos, the, the 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 dirt, the pollution, everything. So so it did not really entice me to go back to India. Now, when it comes to the values, I did not really interact much with the people. I just heard what I heard. The second part of that is getting things done. So it, it's ironical that. I found getting things done in India very difficult when I was looking to move to India. But three years later, I actually, two years later, I ended up setting, setting up my own business in India. And uh, it's a different way. It's a different thing. So good or bad, I did not have to deal with a lot of politics, a lot of uh, bureaucracy uh, back then. But, and just maybe at some point, I want to ask you that too, that besides that, the living standard is, you know, good. We make money. We can afford maids and drivers and whatnot. But getting things day-to-day done was the biggest thing that bothered me. And I kind of deterred my plan to move to India. Right? So, you
0: know, you know so my own experience in this is that um, when you go into any new culture, you know, when you come from India into the West, there are certain things that you see which people living there are unable to see. I saw the same thing when I lived in South Africa for some time. <clears throat> And my experience of going back to India is that there are many things that you kind of take as normal in India. Uh, Take the, uh, you know, the rubbish on the streets and the cows on the streets and all that stuff. It's kind of taken for as normal. But when you have lived somewhere where that's not the norm and you go back and experience that, it does look very jarring. Now, you know, it's very difficult to say this to people in India, but it is not normal. And when you see especially the grinding poverty and the disparity of income and all that, some of that actually, I think, is quite difficult to absorb. I think it goes, it goes back to some of the point that Tej is making about values. Um, you know, the fact that you can have a driver who gets paid about as much as you would go out and spend in one night with your friends. is something that, you know, it's very difficult for it to sit right once you've lived in a different kind of culture. Tej, was that your experience as well?
1: My initial days when I first moved back to India, I had, so I'd gone from Hyderabad, which at that time was not as big as it is now. And it was relatively clean, I say relatively. Um, But I moved to Bombay. It it was, that friction in the initial six months was, it was unbelievable. It was, I could not get over it. So I had to drive from Bandra to, office wasn't in Worley, and it was in Lower parallel not Worley, so i had to drive through a segment of the city so the the lower traffic road was uh, called e moses road or tulsi pipe road yeah. and uh, that the, the poverty you see yeah. the 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 rubbish you see the, the 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 utter chaos of it all it was so startling you know i mm. like for for 6 months every day i would fantasize about running away. Um, And I was just like, no, I can't do it. You know, I have to go deal with visas and all that. Who's going to do that? I'm going to, you know, do the grind over here and get through this. Eventually, you kind of get desensitized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah,
3: yep. And and I want to add to that. So this was the first time I went to India in November, just like two weeks back. I exactly drove through that area. So our driver to avoid the Eastern Freeway took us through inner parts of Bandra and then uh, we were going to the ville Parle east so he took totally inner roads totally inner roads not avoiding the eastern freeway and eastern expressway and i was with a, uh, a colleague from u.s and he was whispering and asking me what the hell is this right because I, as an indian and i've been doing business in india for nine years used to it the driver was he understood english and he explained and I was like, even as an Indian, used <laughs> to that. Uh, I was not prepared for the, the, that yeah, kind of yeah. job
4: myself. So. Yeah, uh, let me, can I jump in for a second, Dishashi. So I think, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, look, uh, we all grew up in India, and you know, we have seen poverty, and we have seen, uh, you know, even when we go back, we see things that jar us. But on the other hand, you know. Uh, there has been quite a lot of progress at a, at a sort of global scale in terms of growth, right? So it's a matter of, for me, it has been, I came here like, I guess, everybody here when we exited India around the time when we finished school and went searching for our fortunes elsewhere. I don't think anything became real for me till I actually had to be on my own. So when you're growing up in your family and, you know, you're, Uh, you're in in a place where your responsibilities are pretty much limited. You don't really see the world till you actually go and have to build your own life. And the fact that all my sort of professional experiences and um, everything I had to do where I had to figure things out myself happened after I left India and came to the US. That became my normal, right? So when I spent three years, so uh, Tej, I spent three years in India as an expat. Uh, from 2012 to 2015. It was a great time to go to India. I mean, this, the story was, you know, the market is exploding. That's where the company wants to invest. And I, I was there. I grew a team, et cetera. And, you know, a lot of the professional experiences I got, I would never trade for anything. But during those three years, it became very clear to me that home was back in the US. And it's not because... Um, India didn't feel familiar. I mean, I my parents lived there, my in-laws lived there, my sister lives there. Uh, whenever we go there, we have that sense of you know familiarity. Going home is always a special feeling. But I had mentally changed as a person, and what felt normal to me was not the life I was living in India. In fact, when we talk about having maids and drivers and all that, all that was actually abnormal for me. I'd rather be able to do things on my own. All those felt like somewhat. Intrusions to me, and i I had basically changed as a person and now, where I live where i 'm here, and of course the kids my kids are growing up in the u s this feels normal so for me, the transition back to India in a professional capacity would be very difficult simply because i'm I, I got used to a different way of things, and yeah. those were my formative experiences professionally so I think we have to also consider that, and i 'm just wondering, like based on the fact that you Spent some time working in the u s spent some time working in india uh, were there sort of those professional differences that also sort of instigated the desire or was it more social
1: um d- desire to move out or to be no any... eventually
4: when you felt like you know i my I feel like somewhere else is where I belong was that partly
1: yeah yeah i mean it yes absolutely i mean i I cannot begin to tell you you know I, so One of the things you realize very quickly in India if you are trying to do business is uh, compliance with law is impossible. Right? There is a written law. And there is practice. And if you want to be compliant, you cannot do anything. And Every time you break the law, you are making yourself vulnerable to some sort of regulatory, um, you know, perturbation at the very least. And something much worse if if you make egregious mistakes. So you are really, you know, so this, the the number of laws on the rule books versus how you get through life, you know, the the whole Jugaad mentality, it, it comes out of this gap where you are actually like really tied down uh by by all the various rules and regulations. And I would say in, in an entrepreneur's life you are spending a lot of time just like dealing with the gap between compliance and how to do something. And that's you know
0: that's a hilarious point. There. I mean, you know, I think all of us have had the experience of interacting with Indian passports or OCI websites and all that. I mean you know, very recently I was applying for my wife was applying for her OCI card. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's impossible to follow the guidelines on that website. And yeah, if you try following it, you show up at the counter, and then they'll tell you everything that's wrong with your application. And then they'll also tell you the jugal about how it can be fixed. And you, you're you left wondering, what did I do wrong, and how did it get fixed? But there is some mysterious process that works somewhere in the background um, that you are sort of almost oblivious to. But yeah, hey, but,
1: I, but I think it's it leads to a much greater macro problem.
0: It does. You've got yeah. an
1: entire country that is reliant on Jugaad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's, it's not a good place in that sense.
0: Well, I think, I think my co-host and I, you know, we have to do a whole show on Jugaad. I mean, I think that's a, that's a important point as well. But just coming back to the motivations for coming back to, I mean, coming abroad again. Mm-hmm. Why the UK and what was your experience there and how's this all gone?
1: Why the UK, it was also, I actually actively also explored going back to the US. Um, I, again, you know, like doing the whole H-1B type thing was, you know, I, I wasn't ready for that madness. And it was being done by lottery and all that. And I, I wasn't about to go get a job and, you know, I was too far gone uh, being, being on my own. So that wasn't something that was feasible. So I looked at um, you know the business visas that are there, the entrepreneurial visas, et cetera, mm-hmm. that, um, that are there in the US. Um, so I was strongly considering in about 2013 or so, doing, there was something called the EB-5, I think. I can't remember the number, but basically it's you, you set up a business over there and you, you run your business, and if you meet certain criteria, Eventually, you get a green card, and uh, later you they'll they'll convert to a citizenship. But again, the problem was, uh, you know, they had some restrictions on how many people you had to employ and all that. As an investor, mine is not a people-heavy mm. business. Uh, you know, scale comes through capitals, yes. but not through not through people. And, uh, you know, I think at that time it was like you had to employ 10 people or something like that, which was really overkill. Um, So I need to invent some kind of business to go over there. I actually went to the U.S. to evaluate. Um, so one of the ways in which you can do this EB-5 thing is if you buy a company in the U.S., I looked at that as well. And, you know, the type of businesses for sale for this visa that fit the criteria of this visa just weren't exciting. You know, I was looking at liquor stores in uh In suburban Los Angeles, it was just not something that I wanted to do at all. Um, And most of the business was like that, you know, you auto shop, you know, lube shop, things like that, which I I just couldn't get excited about uh, getting into. Um, And I was interested in tech and that type of stuff. I had found, if I had found some type of opportunity like that, I would have gone to the U.S. But um, when... uh, you know, as I was going through this process, um, you know, I, I kind of, I lost momentum because I wasn't finding anything very interesting. And um, uh, the 2016 election happened which gave me pause.
0: Yes, yes. As, as did it to many other people.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it really gave me pause and I felt like, you know, maybe I had dodged a bullet. Um, but my wife is a British citizen. She was born here. And um, she grew up here she was here until she was you know she was a preteen and then her family moved to india um and uh so it was it was an easy path for emigration for me to you know apply as a spouse and um so that's 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 the immigration state and this this visa is really Aside from the actual process of ap- applying for the visa, you have to kind of prove that your marriage is genuine and stuff like that, which was very easy for us because we've been together for 20-plus years. Um, um, but uh, the, it was not as onerous as, like, say, that uh, the business visa, not the business visa, the entrepreneurial visa for the U.S. Right. or uh, or um, uh, doing the point system even. I, I'm not sure I even qualify using the point system in the UK. I I didn't assess myself for the points, but I don't know because I I don't have a STEM degree, for example, so I don't know if that makes it harder. Um, So, yeah, I mean, why the UK? Um, A, overall, I would say I, I was reasonably convinced that given the history of the UK, it was generally a liberal type of place. I'd visited the UK several times before. And I felt like, you know, my values aligned nicely with uh, what was available in the UK. I also kind of liked the fact that the UK had a little bit more of a socialist bent than the US, uh, um, you know, with the NHS and everything like that. Um, so and the path to the visa and all that was quite uh, easy. And, you know, I, I really like the schools in the UK. Um uh I, I had somewhat of an issue with uh, schools. My, my children were very young at the time that we moved here. My son was not even in school, but um, I'd kind of, you know, investigated the educational system uh, and I was pretty impressed with uh, even uh, uh, some of the better, you know, uh, state schools in, in, in the UK. So it felt like the right environment and London. I was like very drawn to London, very cosmopolitan, you know, kind of in its in its own way, the center of the universe um, and um, big financial sector. So, you know, doing something in finance is uh, uh, relatively simple. The convertible currency, you know, one of my one of the things that was really difficult for me in India to do was currency trading. Well, not difficult, it was impossible, impossible it was yeah. illegal. was yeah. illegal. Um, so, like, being in the UK uh, made it possible for me to also expand the range of uh, assets I could uh, invest in. And have, being in a convertible currency, like, after coming from a, uh, a managed currency like India, it's, a, it's very liberating, especially if you're in the financial space. So, yeah. uh, that was another factor.
0: But how's it been with uh, you know, settling in with children and all that? And how have they found it?
1: Um, how have they found? It? I mean, they obviously there was friction, and we landed over here, and a few months in there was COVID, so all that was a, a little difficult to deal with. But uh, you know, the, London is so cosmopolitan that. Um, we, sometimes I don't even realize I'm not in India. Um, that is
0: true. That is absolutely true. I mean, I think, you know, again, London is a bit of an island in that way. Uh, that's not true of the rest of the UK, as I'm sure you know. But, yes. But London is an incredibly cosmopolitan place where you can create your own micro-community if you want um, and live in any micro-culture that you want unmolested by anyone else.
1: Yeah. And if you want to sample every micro-culture that's available, it's absolutely. Just, you know, it's, it's really easy. <laughs> um and the kids have made lots of friends and one one thing that we are able to do which maybe when i was younger i would not have been able to do is we travel very frequently to india so you know uh, we had ch- children quite late by indian standards and um, it's uh, so you know we want to make sure that uh, the kids get to spend a lot of time with their grandparents so we travel very very frequently to india that uh, that You know, still keeps the India connection going. Um, The only year we couldn't do multiple trips to India was when in 2020 because of COVID. Um, Since then, we've been to India several times, and I think that has really calmed the children down. Um, uh, Because like they have half term every six weeks over here, and we try to go if it's a two week uh, break, we try to go to India. Right. And it's a short flight from here to India compared to the U.S. The U.S. is so it's a difficult flight to do very frequently.
0: Of course. Well, that's great. I mean, um, guys, Neeraj, uh, Vishwas, Vijay, any reflections, questions for Tej?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, uh, one of the, the the main theme we uh, explore in this podcast, besides obviously just having fun talking about experiences as the diaspora, is the motivations for people when they step out, right? What are they looking for? Uh, what is the uh, what is it that's missing that's that uh, we aspire to in a different place? And the diaspora is sort of the leading edge of, I think, in my opinion, uh, where the world is anyway going, right? We're becoming more global and with people sort of moving across boundary lines and continents. Uh, your story is really interesting, Tej, because you kind of did a back and forth, and that's why we were excited to talk to you. Uh, one of the key themes that I took away was, uh, you know, really, and something that even I saw was just the um, friction in sort of ease of doing business. One of the things that I really appreciate, at least about the U.S., is that uh, the whole environment is uh, very conducive to somebody who just wants to start a small business or an enterprise. It's so, so easy in the last two or three years as I, after I left corporate America and decided to try a few things on my own. It's been so easy to just, you know, put out that shingle and uh, do some consulting, try a few new different ideas. I even ran a startup for a while. And I think that whole ease of uh, of getting, being able to get to actually doing what you want to do and not have to worry about some of the uh, regulatory or legal things is, is quite powerful. So I'm sure that's something you're appreciating also as you start your own business.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, it's night and day, honestly. Um, in India, I mean, I, it, I, I, like, income tax is, so I run an investing business, right? Now, there is, uh, I, I know the U.S. also has some issues with it, but, you know, it's a little bit easier over in the U.S., I think. But in India, there is always the question of, of how do you classify your gains? Is it income or is it uh, capital gains? Um now, the tax department obviously is always trying to maximize its uh, its revenue. So any, any anything that you say is capital gains is scrutinized very aggressively. Um, and um, so I, I had so between between my own in my own personal capacity and a few other entities that I used to invest capital from, the amount of scrutiny that I had to deal with with uh, income tax was just—it was onerous. I had to hire like a whole team, and I—you know—I'm not a big operation. I—I I, I run a very lean operation. My my size is not again—you know—some Ambani type of uh, size either. I run a small operation, even in terms of amount of assets under management. The compliance. Was absolutely mind-boggling, and it was a massive bandwidth suck. Here, it is liberating not to have to worry about compliance all the time. Um, and you know, you mentioned doing business, like you know, getting things done. I think people don't appreciate how difficult it is to get even small things done.
0: Mm. Um, well, I think I think we've all had experience of that. You know, <laughs> the whole culture of people will tell you, "Hojayega." And then nothing happens. Yeah. yeah or yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that that uh, the, the fact that commitment means nothing is a real challenge if you've lived in an environment where commitment does mean something.
1: And and some things that you take for granted, like you know, your utilities and your internet, yeah, you hope will work, yeah. but they yeah. don't. You know, so yeah. in Hyderabad, the promise of the Telangana government is twenty four seven power. I went, I was in India uh, three weeks ago. There was no 24-7 power. My internet went down six times for yeah. multiple hours at a time. And you have to get on the phone with that guy and fight with him. And he's saying it's happening. It will happen now. It will happen then. Yeah. It was quite challenging. Neeraj? <clears throat> yeah, so, <clears throat> so I want to say add to this. And uh, Tej, I have businesses both
3: in the U.S. and both in and in India also. Uh-huh. <clears throat> there are similar challenges, Right. I'll tell you when internet goes out in India or power goes out in India, we have backups. We have used backups, and of course that come with extra cost. But I find the same problem in US too. If I lose internet or power in US, uh-huh. I have no way of fixing it. Actually, the uh-huh. process is going to take its own time, mm-hmm. right? They they're going to come. They're going to do whatever. So so I I, I kind of had best and worst of both the worlds in terms of running the businesses. Hey, but Neera, look, hey, look.
0: Nira, you live in Florida. Yeah. Power cuts are kind of powerful course. I have to say, I have lived in the UK now for 23 years. Yeah. We've had a power cut once for about two hours.
3: Nah, we, we haven't it. had have yeah, had power cuts and those were hurricane days, right? And yeah. you kind of manage it too. So yeah. what, what I was saying was that, you know, having run uh, businesses both in US and India, there are challenges, of course, you know, and there are, there are ways to get things done in each country. Uh, sometimes you have to look the other way. Sometimes you have to look directly into their eyes. Depends yeah. on the situation. So, uh, what I want to say today to you is really power to you for having traveled three different continents and uh, doing businesses or work in three different places. I have been kind of between only two, US and India. Uh, definitely love to know more. I think uh, what I want to do is, uh, you know, not if not on the uh, this podcast, maybe you know have one more session with you just to kind of learn about your experiences and talk about that. So I, I would leave that saying definitely lovely knowing you, Tej. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
2: Sure.
0: Vishwas, do you want to come in?
2: Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, Tej, it's been great. Uh, uh, one of the things uh, that, uh, I, you know, we uh, uh, have not discussed, but it's a theme that emerges in a discussion like this when uh friends and family are talking about this and and i just wanted to have a couple of lines on that uh is uh, the 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 giving back theme so uh, a lot of us have had very privileged upbringings uh, and uh, we have had uh, a subsidized education in in Kharagpur. and uh, i think uh, all of us in, on this call at least from what i from what little i know uh, about you also, Tej. Uh, it seems that, you know, we have found our own ways of, of giving back. Uh, you know, Shashi comes back from time to time, tries to work with leadership here in India. Vijay and Neeraj have set up uh, uh, and launched teams and businesses here in India. You have uh, tried to be a connective tissue, Tej, for investments between U.S. and India. And, uh, uh, You know, one of the things that comes up for people who come back has been that, uh, uh, at least, you know, that's something that resonates personally with me, has been uh, that just by being here and struggling with the system, you know, and and contributing to the growth of this country, you are also, uh, in a way, uh, giving back. Because you know the the struggles are, are are par for course and and for some people this is home. So uh, from from the point of view of giving back, age has has that uh, come up in your in your thoughts uh, or, or uh, in your uh, considerations?
0: Because I like
2: I was saying I I already see that you know there was this uh, connected tissue thing that you were talking about where you try to be a channel between India and U.S. So you know that for example has been a lot of times. How I see a lot of people give back when, you know, once they leave.
1: Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I lived in India for 20 years, right? So I, as an adult, I'm not counting my childhood years. As, as an adult, I lived in India for nearly 20 years. And there are some causes which I are really close to my heart. I haven't done enough for them. Um I definitely do think about giving back, not necessarily I don't think of it as a giving back to India kind of a sense, but um uh, um so um girl children in India are abandoned regularly. And
0: um Yeah. Tej, look, I think, uh, you know, uh, Vishwas, that was a great question to end on, you know, finding a way to give back and finding a way to be, you know, th- there is uh, there are things that are happening in India, that are, they're all good things, uh, they can happen faster, you know, we are, uh, there's no point in being critical about it, you know, we are all part of this uh, huge diaspora that can contribute to India developing a bit faster and, you know, things that Tej has done, things that uh, all of us have done are, you know, a small contribution in that respect. Um, I think. So, not okay, to, thank not, you to very much. not
2: to not to uh, uh, uh,
0: you know critique,
2: uh, Shashi. You just uh, a theme that I thought had not come up. No, 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 no I'm, not,
1: I, I'm not. I'm not being critical, but I would say that it's a massive problem that is kind of close to my heart, and it's something that I like give. I, I give money to on a regular basis, Yeah. and. Um, Uh, So I I haven't thought of it in terms of, like, giving back to India as much as giving to a certain cause.
0: Yeah. Um, You you know, I think, um, you know, Vishwas, that that question, I mean, that, you know, one, it's an uplifting theme that you picked up right at the end of the show. I think that's one that we should explore a bit more uh, because this question of how we, you know, who have had a privileged upbringing in India can play, you know, whatever part we can. in in the sort of massive journey that India is on is I think something that's worth considering more properly um, rather than just spending a couple of minutes now. So Tej, well, first and foremost, I think thank you very much for showing up here. Uh, Thank you for being part of this show. Uh, It's been fantastic listening to your experiences. And as Neeraj said, you know, we might want to explore some of this in a future show again. Uh, But you know, this is is exactly what the show is set up to do to talk about the experience of the diaspora. And it's been fantastic listening to yours. So thank you, everyone. um, And we will see you again next week.
1: Thank you. you. Great being here. Thanks, stage.